It's Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. So let's make sure that we're all there in Acts chapter 3, because I want to read these 10 verses first to try to get the whole context there, and then we'll jump into the specifics of it. Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. All right, actually we'll back up to the verse 42 of chapter 2 to kind of pick up where we read last week and we'll just continue it straight down through verse 10 of chapter 3. And they continued steadfastly, this is chapter 2 verse 42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayer. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done among, or done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things in common. They sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continued daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved." Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being in the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame, from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. So here we have Peter and John, two of the early leaders in the church. And they're coming in here by this gate, this gate called Beautiful. They're at the temple, of course, the main area for worship in the city of Jerusalem. And here they come, and inside here at this gate, as was a common practice in this day, here was a man brought by his friends, his family members, and placed every single day. Now, the Bible tells us this man was lame from the point of birth. He had never been able to walk from the time that he was born. He had been disfigured, disabled in some way, and was unable to walk. And so, his family members would bring him down to the temple, hoping that people, as they're coming to worship God and offer their sacrifices, would perhaps take pity on him. And this was fairly normal to have this type of thing go on where people who were unable to provide for themselves were put in the temple area to hopefully have people give to them. So here's this man. He can't walk. We get the idea that this has been going on potentially for many years, that this man has been put in the temple to beg, it says, for alms, for people to give him money, something that he can sustain life with. And uh, they're at the temple. So Peter and John are going there to the temple. Here this man, verse 3, who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. So he calls out Peter and John. You know, I don't know if he knows them by name, but he calls out to these two men and asks them for, for some money. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, look on us. So they stop what they're doing. Perhaps they step to the side to talk to this man. They say, look here, look at us. And he gave them heed, so he's paying attention to them, expecting to receive something from them. So he thinks, hey, these guys are probably going to give me some money. But verse 6, this is what Peter says. Peter said, silver and gold have I none. And I'm guessing at this point the man's heart kind of sinks. He goes, well, why are you talking to me then? If you don't have any, any money, then what's the point? Uh, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. So he says, I can't give you money, but I can give you something a whole lot better. He says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand, lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, le and he leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they knew it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder 
and amazement at that which had happened unto him. So this is a pretty amazing thing that just happened here in the temple. Here's a man who, as we can see at the end of the passage here, that says in verse 10, they all knew that this was the guy that sat at the gate. Everybody recognized this guy, which leads us to believe that he had been doing this for a long time. And people who were commonly going and coming knew this guy. You'd pass him every time on the way in. And here he is walking, leaping, shouting, praising God and thanking God for what has just happened. So let's dig into the specifics here of this idea of caring and how that really makes a difference. Our theme for our lesson, which I believe you have in your books, in order to make a difference, we must demonstrate the care and concern of Jesus Christ to those in need. So again, last week we talked about sort of the, the be caring for one another, looking out for the needs and the relationships in the body of Christ. Now it steps out from there. Now we're looking at caring and con- showing the, the concern of Christ to those around us in need, not specifically in the body of Christ. And this evening we're going to look at three components of genuine care from this passage here in these 10 verses in chapter in Acts chapter Number three. So three components of genuine care. The first is this, and I believe this will fill in the first couple of blanks there. We see the plight of the needy man. The plight of of the needy man. Look at verse 2 of Acts chapter 3. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. It's pretty obvious this guy has a serious physical need. And the unfortunate thing, the inconvenient reality, so to speak, is that the very first part of actually caring is that there's going to be a need to care for them, to to care for. And I don't know if you're like me, but caring for other people is not something that comes naturally to me. I don't typically go out looking to meet other people's needs. I usually am looking out to meet my own. It's kind of how we're, as human beings, tend to be wired. Look out for myself, look out for my needs, take care of my needs and maybe the people that are closest to me. But outside of that, get a job, take care of yourself, do whatever it is that you need to do. I mean, I'm working hard to take care of myself. I'm a needy person, right? So why should I have to reach out and meet your needs when I myself am a needy person? But yet the reality is, if we're going to make a difference in the lives of the people around us, We need to remember that they're going to have needs and we need to be ready to express care for their needs. This man had at least three dire needs. Number one, in the plight of the needy man, his first major need that was very obvious, he needed strength to walk. Physically speaking, as the Bible teaches, this man had been born without the ability in his legs and his ankles to ever walk. And so, as we're expecting within the next probably six weeks or two months or so, maybe even faster than that, Brenna's going to be up and walking. And that's pretty normal for kids. We're excited when that happens, although it then adds another layer of <laughs> of other exciting things that happen because, yay, now they can walk and get into more stuff. But it's normal for a kid as they are born and grow up and gain strength, they begin to gain the ability to walk. And yet pretty soon, if a baby doesn't ever actually get up and walk, we start to realize there's something wrong. And here this issue, this man had a serious physical need in that he could not walk. He was laying there. He was helpless. He had to be carried in. This guy couldn't really accomplish a whole lot for himself, especially in that culture where basically the way that you earned a living for for the vast majority of people was by physically working. 
It was typically an agricultural society, so either you owned land and worked on your land or hired other people to work on your land, or you were hired by those who owned the land. Most of the jobs were physical labor type of jobs. Now, there were some that weren't, but typically in order to make a living, you need to be physically fit and capable. And unfortunately for this man, he was not, and he had this physical need. And just like this guy had a physical need, we'll talk about his spiritual need a little bit more here in a minute, but we can look out and about in the world around us, and there are needs everywhere we look. There are needs in the poorest parts of town. There are needs in the richest parts of town. And more so than just the physical needs, there are spiritual needs all around us. We talked about the 1,100 or so flyers that have been hung on doors over the course of this last week. And that's an excellent, that's a wonderful thing. And as we continue to try to spread the word that our church exists, that we're here to try to meet needs and care for people and help people, we shouldn't be surprised when needs are put in front of us. Every door that we hang a flyer on or every person that we hand something to represents a lot of needs, whether they be physical, whether they be financial, whether they be emotional, but most importantly, over top of all of that, the spiritual need of the individuals that we come into contact with. Isaiah chapter 1, verses 4 through 6, I think it's printed out in your books, just follow along as I read it. It says, Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity. This passage is highlighting the spiritual need of God's people here. He says, A seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors, they have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger, and they are gone away backward. Why, ye sh- why should ye be stricken any more? Ye will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick. The whole heart is faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it but wounds, bruises, putrefying sores. They have not been closed, neither bound up, nor mollified with ointment. Okay, this is a spiritual, this is kind of a picture using physical wounds to paint the picture of what's going on spiritually in the hearts of God's people. Romans chapter 5, verse 6 says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Jesus, throughout His ministry on this earth, spent time specifically going after what seemed like the neediest portions of society. And He met physical needs, but there was also there was always this overarching theme of Jesus' ministry. It wasn't just to make food where there wasn't food before, or to heal man, men like this who had issues physically. That wasn't the primary goal of Jesus' ministry. That happened, and it was a huge help to those people. But Jesus was always after something bigger and more important, and that was their heart. That was their spiritual condition. He was always trying to equate the physical needs with the spiritual depravity and in turn lead those people to a saving knowledge of Him. That was the goal of Christ's ministry in a physical sense on this earth, showing people that He was God, that He was the answer to their major problem, which was sin. So this man here needed strength to walk. He also needed substance for living. We see him there in the gate asking for alms, asking for money. He needed financial assistance just to meet the basic needs of life since he was physically unable to actually earn an income. Matthew chapter 25, verse 37 through 40, Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when we saw thee and hungered and fed thee, or thirst, or saying, Lord, when uh, saw we thee and hungered and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink, when we... When saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick, or in prison, and came unto thee? 
And the king answered and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done unto one of the least of my brethren, ye have done it unto me. The local church meets needs like this. And often behind the scenes, Will was telling me about some of the people who have been calling here recently who have seen our Google ads or whatever and called in and said, Hey, uh, you know, I have this need or that need. I need money for this or for that. And that's, that's tough because you, you can't just give everybody money when they call. It'd be nice if we could just sort of wave a magic wand and meet everybody's needs, but that's not the way that God has blessed our church and given us the ability to do. We need to be wise with the resources God has given us. But the reality is that there are many people who just simply need substance for living. And sometimes God has placed us as an opportunity to show His grace by meeting those physical needs. In fact, God places a high level of importance on this in this passage where He says, "...inasmuch as ye have done it to one of the least of my brethren, ye have done it unto me." Jesus here is saying, look, if you are reaching out, if you are meeting these needs, it's as if you are serving me by serving these people. Because Christ recognizes the value of individuals. Christ recognizes that those needs are represented are, are, are people who are who are our souls beloved by him sometimes it's easy for us to kind of differentiate ourselves as those who have been believers maybe for some period of time who are following Christ and it's kind of easy sometimes to differentiate ourselves from those who are unbelievers to think that somehow in the eyes of God that somehow he views us as better because we've accepted Christ and they haven't. And so maybe, you know, we wouldn't say that God loves us more, but that's kind of how we live because of how we treat these people. But Jesus doesn't put any sort of a distinction on anybody. He says everybody's a sinner. Everybody's in need of salvation. And if you've accepted Christ as Savior, God sees Christ's righteousness, not yours. There's nothing we have done to deserve or earn God's favor. And so Jesus here is saying, look, if you're serving the least of one of these, it's as if you have done it to me yourself, recognizing the importance of these people. He says in Proverbs 19:17, He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto the Lord, and that he which hath given, or hath given he will pay him again. And so we need to understand that these physical needs are important to God and look for opportunities to possibly be God's hand of grace in their life by meeting these needs. But the last need here in the plight of the needy man after he needed his physical issues met, he needed substance for living, but he also needed someone just simply to care. He needed somebody to care about him. And among all these people entering the temple this day, this man noticed Peter and John specifically. He no doubt caught the eyes of many different temple goers and encountered a variety of responses. But when he looked at these two men, an expectant hope sprang up within him. Somehow he knew, or at least it hoped, that they would help. More people than we realize are looking for a person to help, a person who will care. And God may desire to use you just as that person in someone's life this week. David described this feeling of hopelessness. Psalm 142, verse 4, I looked on my right hand, and behold, there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. We talked last week about one of the benefits of being in the local church is that we have spiritual leadership under our pastor, our church leaders, people who genuinely care for our spiritual well-being and how that is a wonderful thing that God has set up within the body of Christ. But yet somebody who is apart from Christ, who has no, no such structure in their life. They don't have someone who's caring for them, and people need somebody who cares. 
It's a, an incredible feeling of hopelessness if you've ever found your po- yourself at a point in life where you feel like nobody knows who I am, nobody cares about my needs, and nobody is here to help. And David here was saying here, refuge fail me, no man cared for my soul. And what a hopeless and helpless feeling that was. I'm guessing if we were to put ourselves in the shoes of this man who was lame and couldn't take care of himself as he's sitting there and these crowds of people are going by him every single day. A few people stop and maybe give him a coin here or there. But I'm guessing there was a serious feeling of helplessness and hopelessness. Here's this guy who through no fault of his own is unable to take care of himself and he's just looking for somebody to care about him. Somebody to care about his life. And Peter and John cared for him that day. So the first, or yeah, the first thing here in the three components of genuine care is there is the plight of the needy man. There's always a need. There's no caring if there's no need to care for. So the first big thing here is there's always a need. The second component, the pity of the caring men. There's got to be a person to show pity, to take uh, to take pity on the need. And here we see Peter and John filling out that role. Acts chapter 3, verses 6 and 7. So Peter and John have stopped. They've engaged this man in conversation. And Peter says, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He took him by the right hand, lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. If we're to be like Peter and John, which I believe God wants us to be, using them as an example here of God's goodness and grace, and care, they first of all had caring eyes to look at the man. So many people before Peter and John that day had passed right by this guy. Physically, their eyes had seen him. They'd seen him over there. In fact, we see there at the end of this passage in verse 10 that there was a whole bunch of people that knew who this guy was. Many people have seen him. And yet Peter and John are seeing him in a whole different way. Because they're looking at him, they see him as a man who has needs and a man who, has, who needs help. And they looked and they had caring eyes to look at this man. In Christ's parable on forgiveness, the master asked the unforgiving servant, Shouldst not thou have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? That's from Matthew chapter 18. Jesus oftentimes, in a sense, could ask us the same question. Shouldn't you have compassion and pity on the people around you, just as I have had pity and compassion on you? You think about what Christ has done for us through dying on the cross, what God has done for us by giving us, meeting our daily needs, providing shelter and clothing and food and so on, and we can go on and on and on, because we know that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father. So after Jesus has done all of this for us, should we not have pity on others. We need to be more like Peter and John and demonstrate this compassion. Verse 4 talks about Peter here as fastening his eyes upon him. Now this Greek word pity in verse number uh, or that we're talking about here, uh, this English word pity uh, appears only once in the New Testament and comes from the Greek word eleo. That's kind of a nice, exciting Greek word. It's also translated mercy and compassion. In fact, it's the same word used in Jude 22, and some having compassion, making 
a difference. Perhaps most of the people to come across the lame man path throughout the years did what came naturally. They looked the other way. I don't know if you've ever been like me, but you're parked at a at a light or at an intersection of some kind. You're waiting, and here comes the person with the sign, and they come walking down the line of cars. And if you're like me, the easiest thing to do is just kind of look away. You don't want to actually like make eye contact because then they're probably going to start coming over and thinking you're going to help them. I mean, that's really kind of the thought that goes into my mind. Well, just don't look at them, and pretty soon the light's going to turn, and and we can just go on our way, right? We can just move along. And that's what happened to this guy who sat there day after day, week after week, year after year, is all these people look at him, quickly avert their eyes, and move on with their business, not looking to help him. But when when we interact people, it shouldn't be that way as Christians. Um, <clears throat> but if we're, if we're going to make a difference, we have to see people as, P, as Peter and John saw this man. We have to see them as they truly are, men and women with eternal souls in need of a Savior. Jeremiah's caring eyes affected his heart, and because of this, we know him today as the weeping prophet. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 51 says this, Mine eye affecteth mine heart because of all the daughters of my city. When Jesus looked on the host of lost souls of men with caring eyes, he was moved with compassion. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Some of us are like the blind man before Jesus finished healing him. Seeing men as less significant than they truly are, we need Christ's touch to enable us to see men clearly. The passages he's referring to there is Mark 8, chapter 24 and 25, when he looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. But then he put his eyes again, or his hands again on his eyes and made him to look up, and he was restored and saw every man clearly. We need to see people through the eyes of Christ, the way that Peter and John saw this man on this day, have caring eyes. The second thing here, if we're going to truly have the pity of Peter and John on that day, having caring hands to lift the man up. Peter and John didn't just look at this man, feel really sorry and really bad for him, but think to themselves, well, we really don't have any money, no gold and silver like Peter eventually told him, so off we go, we really can't do anything for him. They did more than just experience emotion. They moved into action. They placed their hands on the man, gripped his feeble body, and helped him to his feet. Now, we understand and recognize that Peter and John had a power that God gave them that day to perform a miracle through the power of God. There was no way that we are going to walk up and let's say Trevor has a broken leg and I'm just going to go over here and just pick him up and he's going to walk off and be fine. No, God hasn't given me the ability to heal Trevor's leg. But Peter and John didn't just say, well, we don't have any money, so I guess we can't help. And you think on a spiritual level, we're not, I mean, physically speaking, we can't meet every single physical need that we see. But spiritually speaking, we have something that everybody needs. Every single person has a spiritual need that we as Christians have help for. You as a believer can help every single person who's a non-believer because you have truth. And you have the ability to share that truth with that person. But yet oftentimes we see needs and we feel pity, we feel sorry, we feel compassion, but yet we don't take this next step that Peter and John did. As they physically lifted this man and met his physical need, we, never, we very rarely will reach out, spiritually speaking, and lift them spiritually and seek to meet that spiritual need by sharing the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And we need to understand that when we lift people up, when we care enough to get involved, we are in that moment being used of God to help that person. The question for us is, who have we lifted lately, spiritually speaking? We're not healing anybody's physical body, but spiritually, who have we lifted up recently? Peter and John, they saw him, they had compassion on him, but then they stepped in and they did what they could do. How often do we say, that person probably needs Jesus, but I'm too afraid to talk to them because they might think I'm strange. Or they might make fun of me. Or they might ask me a spiritual question that I don't know the answer to. Or I don't want to share the gospel with them because I'm not really sure what I should say. I'm not necessarily as eloquent or smooth with this as somebody else. So I'll just let them hopefully run into somebody else who can do a better job than me. But what we need to understand is that oftentimes God places us in situations because He wants us to be His hand, as it were, to reach down and lift this unsaved, going-to-hell sinner from their plight. And so if we're going to be like Peter and John, we need to step in and take action. But the third component of genuine care third component the first was the plight of the needy man the second was the pity of the caring men and then the third this is kind of the result if you will the praise of the healed man we had the need peter and john came they had the ability to meet that need they stepped in had compassion on the man met his need and then here's the result the fact that these men were willing to take their time stop what they were doing show compassion reach out lift him up here's what happened the praise of the healed Man, Acts chapter 3, verse 8, He leaped up and stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. He had never walked before. We know the Bible tells us that from the point that he was born, he couldn't walk. But now he could. He had never leapt. He had never jumped around before because he couldn't even walk. So now he's jumping around. Now he's leaping. And it's likely that he had never actually gone beyond the temple gate before. He'd always been set right by the outside, but it's very likely he had never even gone in. And now he is going inside for the first time into the temple unassisted. But that's not all he was doing. As he's walking and leaping, he is shouting praise and thankfulness to God. And what you see here is this man's praise was a witness of God's power. This man's praise was a witness of God's power. His very first response to God's miraculous healing in his body was to praise God. He wanted everyone to know that God had changed his life. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 12 says that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. We should recognize that God has changed our lives. And we should be, just like this man was leaping and praising God, we should be making it abundantly clear that God has changed my life. He can change yours too. And we should be there ready to help. The, chest, the testimony of a changed life is a wonderful tool. People can argue with our message. They can resist our reasoning, but they can't deny the message of a transformed life. You ever see a person who is just completely radically different after they begin to get to know God, they've been saved, and they begin to study God's Word, and all of a sudden, it's like God opens their eyes, the lights come on, and now their life is completely different. And what 
<laughs> the truth of that is, is that skeptics find it hard to explain why somebody doesn't walk the way they used to walk or talk the way they used to talk, go places they used to go, do the things they used to do. People typically don't radically change who they are. That's just kind of human nature. But when a person does and they become a different person than they used to be, people take notice. And while their words might not be the most eloquent, they may not know all the whys and hows and be able to explain everything that has happened in their life is this incredible testimony. And this man here, his praise, was a witness to God's power. There's no way that that man could explain exactly how God fixed everything that was wrong with his legs and his ankles and feet and whatever else was going on and set him up to where he could walk and jump around. He didn't know all of the mechanics behind it, but the fact that he was leaping around and praising God, it was obvious that something major had happened in his life and spiritually speaking it's the same type of thing that happens to us the bible describes us before christ entered our lives as people who were dead dead in our trespasses and sins so if we were people who previously were completely dead spiritually now all of a sudden we're alive that's a huge difference in second corinthians five seventeen, therefore if any man be in christ he is a new creature Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. This man's praise was a witness of God's power. The second thing, his praise was watched by the people. Verses 9 and 10, And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew it was he which sat for, uh, sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened to him. Notice there it says that all the people saw him. This healed man didn't have to get up and start preaching a sermon because he was the sermon. He was the message there. He did just what God had suddenly enabled him to do. He had gone from not being able to walk to all of a sudden being able to walk, jump around, and do all of that. And all he did was simply do what God had given him the ability to do. And spiritually speaking, we should... Think about how we can do the same thing. How do we, through our lives, become a sermon? Not all of us are going to preach or teach in that sense, but all of us should be living the message of salvation and Christ's love and goodness and care and compassion through our lives. All of us should be doing just simply what God has enabled us to do. Show up to work on time. Live with integrity. Love your spouse. Raise your children to be godly. Do things that you couldn't do without Christ. And then when people ask how you do them, say it's because of Him. Be willing to give Christ the honor and the glory. Just simply be the type of person that God has given you the ability to be. And that can be a huge influence and impact on the people around you. Yes, in case you're wondering, Peter did get around to preaching a sermon uh, here in the next verses 12 through 26. He didn't let that opportunity pass by to preach and explain exactly <laughs> what was going on here. But this man had really set the scene. There wouldn't have been a crowd to preach to if this man hadn't leapt, walked, and praised God. People were watching, and, pe and Peter was able to say to them down in verse 16 of Acts chapter 3, "...and his name, through faith in his name, hath made this man strong." So this crowd of people is gathering around going, "...what just happened?" We know who this guy is, and he couldn't walk, and now all of a sudden he can. What just happened? And Peter says that his faith hath made this man strong, whom you see and know, yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence 
of you all. People who need God are watching how we handle the ups and downs of life. People who need God are watching how we handle difficult situations. People are all around us observing our lives. They're not going to go up and tell us half the time, hey, I watched how you did this, or I watched how you did that. But they watch how we handle the ups and downs in the economy, or how we deal with bad news from home, or from like, you know, something we're trying to do, how we treat our family members, how we live day in and day out. And Jesus said that this fishbowl, so to speak, the idea that everybody's watching you and seeing what you do, is a wonderful place to give glory to our Father. Matthew 5, verse 16, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. Jesus doesn't want us to go hide off to ourselves. That's why this idea that uh, monks and nuns throughout history have done, it's not biblical. The idea that we can just go seclude ourselves off. When we lived uh, in California, down in the desert, there was this monastery probably 40 or 50 miles from the camp where we were. And, uh, I mean, they were way out at the end of this road. No one ever went there except the people who were there uh, for being at the monastery. And out there, they were impacting nobody. And I don't know what they did out there. I mean, in theory, in a monastery, you're supposed to read the Bible and, and these religious writings, and you're supposed to just get super close to God. But you have no impact on anybody, and that's not the way God designed it to be. He says, Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works, and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Notice it doesn't stop at, Let your light so shine before men, so that they may see your good works. The point of us living a Christ-filled life around people isn't so that they look at us and go, Wow, look at that guy, look at that girl, look what they're doing, they are a great person. No, the point is so that they may glorify your Father which is in heaven. You look at what Peter and John did there on that day. We, aren't see, we don't see all the interaction between them and the lame man. We know they said, we can't help you with money, but here, here's what we can do. They picked him up. All of a sudden he's walking. But no, not one time do we see him going, look at these guys. Look at Peter. Look at John. Look what they were able to do. These guys just did a miracle and fixed my legs. It says he walks and leaps and he's praising God. Now, I don't know if that was Peter and John saying, we didn't do this. If they had this conversation, this wasn't us, this was God. But for, somehow this man knew that it wasn't Peter and John who had healed him. This was God. And that is the way, as Christians, we should be impacting the world around us. We have the opportunity here to impact people. Once again, the three components of general care, genuine care, the plight of the needy man, there are needs all around us every day. The pity of the caring men. So there's no problem with number one. If we're looking to accomplish genuine care and impact society around us, there's never a lack or a shortage of needs. That's definitely not in question. Number two is where we start to run into the problem because that's where we come into the equation. Because we, unlike Peter and John in this passage, aren't willing to have compassion. We don't see with eyes to see the needs. We don't reach out with the truth of God's Word to meet the spiritual needs of other people. But then three, if we will do this, if we will be like Peter and John, the result of this is the praise of the healed man. It's a changed life. It's a changed life. So the plight of the needy man, the pity of the caring man, and the praise of the healed man. And in conclusion... We need to understand this, that God often allows His work to hinge on our care. It's kind of crazy to think about that the God of the universe, this God who has all power, 
who has the ability to fix people's legs instantly, who has the ability to raise people from the dead, Jesus who raised himself from the dead, God who created everything would actually allow us to have any sort of an impact for good or, or for bad in his work being accomplished here on this earth. Now we know that God will accomplish his will. He will accomplish his purpose with or without us. But yet oftentimes he allows us to have an impact. He allows us to be his hand in a sense that reaches down to help somebody up. He allows us to be the person who, through which he provides to meet a need in somebody's life. And God often allows his work to hinge on our care. So the question for us today is who are we going to care for? It's not a question of are there going to be needs to be met. It's not a question of are there going to be opportunities to care. But will you care for the people that God brings across your path even this week? Even tomorrow? Will you take the time, see them with the eyes of compassion and understanding that there is a very real spiritual need? Even if it seems like this person has everything together. You go, this person's far more successful than me. They're smarter. They're richer. They're better dressed. Everything seems to be fitting together in their life, but recognizing that under that exterior, there is a needy heart and there is a person in need and be willing to reach out and meet that need. Will you care to reach out to them with God's love and lift them toward the Savior? The memory verse this week, it's the verse that we closed with there, Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. This verse perfectly sums up this entire idea here that we've been studying this evening, that our caring makes a difference.